Hello, and welcome to Social Design Insights, the weekly podcast that brings you the leading voices of the social design movement from the fields of architecture, engineering, planning, art, and other. I'm your host, Eric Kessel, and I'm here with my co-host, Emiliano Gandolfi. Hello to everybody. I'm really happy to uh, announce another interview on the theme, Can a City Work as an Ecosystem? Because after our previous talk with Pliny Fisk and Gil Vittori, we're still uh, sticking to this topic in trying to understand how our cities can actually function in a more intelligent way. And to do this, we interviewed Young Yongert, that is the founder of Superuse Studios, a practice based in Rotterdam. I say this all the time, but I love this group, just the way that they think and the sort of arc of their practice. You know, they started out just doing what a lot of practitioners do, which is, you know, looking at waste and recycling as, as sort of design material and have really evolved, I think, into a global leader for really how to think about cities as an ecosystem, how to think about buildings as an ecosystem where every waste stream is recycled into a stream of productivity. And I really like their approach of shifting from what they call green economy, uh, so a sustainable economy, to a blue economy. So they're kind of uh, looking at examples of uh, production, and they're seeing that our society is basically linear. So it's a rigid system that goes on producing more and more in scale, while nature, in fact, is cyclical and has a dynamic system. So for blue economy, they intend a system that is built by humans, but that looks more as at nature, so there's more dynamic. Yeah, you know, and, and it sort of shocks you back, right? Because obviously this is the way that ecosystems work. This is the way that nature kind of does her thing. And I think for millennia, human civilizations did something similar, right? I mean, we, we utilize things, we sure. conserve things. And, you know, it's only very recently, I would say, in, in the sort of petrochemical uh, era that we just got used to disposing of things and, you know, adopted this, as you said, linear system. And that time has, has come to a close. Um, so I'm really happy to, to see the work that they're doing and hope it becomes an example for everybody. And what, what I really think that is also worth mentioning is that they see this really as an ecosystem. So it's about, you know, a building, an object, uh, a neighborhood, a city or a region, but also that is all open source. And when they, once they think about dynamic systems, it's not only objects, but it's also knowledge. So how can we use our knowledge in a different way. So it becomes also, a, a, has a cultural perspective. So let's listen to this interview because it's really a, uh, a really an insightful one. Let's do it. Jan, uh, um, Super U Studios is now 10 years old, right? Actually 20 years old, uh, because it was in 97 that you, you actually started working with, with Cesar. So how did you start with this idea of working in a kind of ecosystemic way on, on architecture and design? So GPU Studio started uh, in 1997, and is the 20th year of our existence. Before, we were called uh, 2012 Architects, and uh, we had the idea to work what is readily available in our surroundings and create architecture and uh, design from that. So that's uh, where it started. Actually, the, the main idea was that we like to start with uh, materials that were already available and uh, built from that. And did you find a lot of resistance to that idea in the beginning? I must say that the world changed quite a bit since then. Like the first 15 years, we really had to convince everyone of the, the ideas we were having. After that, uh, people started understanding what we were doing. And what you see now is that, um, yeah, for two years, 
we get commissions um, yeah, for much bigger projects from uh, all kind of unexpected angles. And you see that these days the idea of circular economy is uh, becoming much more familiar. But indeed, uh, in the beginning, um, no one understood why we were doing what we were doing. And it was very hard to find people to work with this or to, uh, to be contractor for our project. You were mentioning the circular economy, which is a notion that I think some of our uh, listeners might not know. So I think that you're building with waste, but also there's a kind of philosophy behind it. So maybe you can explain a bit more about this. The principal idea we started with in 1997 was that um, there's so much stuff and resources around us. So why would you first throw away something, then melt it, transport it to another country, uh, turn it into another product, then transport it again and use it for maybe the same product that it was before. So to use the quality of what is already available is uh, something that we uh, were looking at. And especially we found waste flows to be um, yeah, also a big inspiration to our work. Waste where everyone consider something to be useless and without any value. We imagined that uh, with design quality, you can actually add value to these materials and create new use and functions with them that actually uh, have value. This idea of taking something that was previously understood as a waste stream and, you know, reconceiving it, reconfiguring it as something of value, as, as an input stream, in overcoming that, in, in, in sort of redefining that, is that more of a technological hurdle or a cultural one? I mean, I know you have to convince people, but the, the technology would seem kind of more straightforward than overcoming the cultural barriers to that sort of evolution. Is that right? Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, that that's what uh, took us the first 15 years is to convince others uh, that you know, using these materials would result in high quality and aesthetically nice environments that uh, also can be built for affordable price. So there's a lot of disbelief that, or there used to be a lot of disbelief in this way of thinking. And I feel that by continuing uh, doing our work and actually scaling up every project, um, every chance that we had for a bigger project, uh, showing that it was possible, um, helped in creating an understanding for this as well. You have been recently working in a large project that is called Blue City in the city of Rotterdam that is basically also reusing a, an older, I think was a, a water park, right? And rehabilitating it in, an, in a new function. Yeah, that, that's uh, actually one of our most recent and largest projects we're working on. Uh, the great thing is that it's the most integrated uh, projects according to the ideas we had in the beginning. Our office, of course, when... We started this idea, uh, we only focused on one aspect, which was taking waste components and uh, turning them into design, for instance, making a shop out of uh, waste wood and uh, glass uh, windows from car uh, windshields, for instance. The small scale projects that, yeah, that, that uh, worked yeah, with a, a building like Blue City, which is a 12 and a half thousand square meter former swimming pool. Uh, this gets to a new level and the interesting thing about this is that it's not just the building which we construct in this way but actually the whole philosophy behind the entrepreneurs that take part in this building is uh, from a similar approach and I think I have to explain a little bit about uh, the, the name of it uh, because it's 
conceived as uh, Blue City, Blue City Rotterdam, which is really uh, the aim for this building to turn it into a city with many different production and consumption uh, processes, but also living, um, leisure, etc. So we really uh, are turning a building into a yeah, city environment. And the basis behind this is that it, all the companies that join here work according to this uh, blue economy idea. I'm getting the sense that you know, evolving beyond the idea of just using waste as, you know, a, a building material, the sociology of Blue City is also following the same philosophy. Is that accurate to say that this is kind of a city within a city or, or even an ecosystem unto itself? Yeah, it's an it's a ecosystem within the city. It's a kind of example uh, hub for showcasing uh, all the potential that waste flows have and uh, especially to show that waste flows of one company can become the resource for another. And that's uh, the idea that it's not just a company sitting next to each other, but actually that they also uh, create an ecosystem amongst themselves. So that we monitor which resources are used by one and which waste flows come from another. And it's, it's maybe a nice thing to, to give a very good example. Uh, one of the, the initiating uh, entrepreneurs in Blue City was a mushroom farmer young company that uses coffee waste to grow mushrooms. In that process, they generate CO2. Uh, the CO2 uh, would otherwise be emitted into the air and uh, create a pollution in a way. But in this case, um, we are studying how to take the CO2 to grow algae. So there's another entrepreneur. He's, uh, yeah, he's uh, starting up uh, algae production and he starts to use the CO2 of the, the mushroom producers. But the algae producer, he, apart from his algae, he also has waste heat because that's uh, what comes from his process. And the waste heat can be used by a beekeeper. Uh, beekeeper keeps bees, he uh, has the, the honey, then the wax from the beehives is taken out and it's melted by the heat of the, the algae producer. And then there is a, a carpenter, he makes furniture, and he uses, again, the wax of the beekeeper. So uh, you see how this all is starting to melt together. And, of course, mm -hmm. the, yeah. yeah, so the uh, guy, the, the carpenter, is making the furniture for uh, the Blue City itself as well. So that's a really great ecosystemic way of working. And we're promoting to create more of these. So it seems like uh, living in a spaceship, basically. It's a little bit uh, indeed like a spaceship. And that's as well the atmosphere uh, of still apart. Uh, when you enter it, it, it's, it was a building that was built in the 1980s, which became got derelict after 20 years of functioning. And it was really left to all the elements, basically. So it's, a, it's like it is a a spaceship that uh, everyone left. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a wonderful metaphor. That's uh, what it feels like. And the, the interesting thing as an architect is, okay, the, this is the, the shape that it has. It has this amount of glass, this amount of uh, cool space. So as well, there's a big challenge in actually looking at this spaceship and see how it performs by itself and trying to adapt the program according to the, the given space and the, the features that it has. But Jan, I mean, now you're talking about the ecosystem of the building, but also, I guess, you also studied the ecosystem of the city to understand what materials could be used in the building itself or what enterprises could come in. 
this is something that we're indeed working on that's a, on a different level uh, like we're working for a municipality of the Hague or the municipality of Rotterdam for instance looking at uh, what are the material and resource flows passing through a city and so far these studies are separate as well from Blue City but of course by getting the knowledge about these uh, material flows we can start to tap into them that, that's exactly the idea we have is that such a compound like Blue City starts to become yeah, really an active generator for a city like Rotterdam, acting on the waste flows, generating new resources for the city as well. Apart from the government reaction, what has been the popular reaction within Rotterdam? Um, are people looking at this as a new way to live? Many people in Rotterdam have been swimming in the swimming pool before when it was uh, still active. So it's very known and people are very curious about um, yeah, the building and uh, how it uh, is turning out. So there's many tours, uh, really many uh, in a week where uh, people are touring through the building. And it's a very good way to get people f more familiar with this way of thinking. But at this moment, there's only 20 companies yet active in this uh, building. So on the small part, like 10, 15 percent of it has been activated. Actually, in time, we will acquire more entrepreneurs that will start production in this building. But um, yeah, definitely, uh, there's a big interest into this new way. But it's, it's, I would more say it like a curiosity at the moment. And what you see from more government uh, parts like municipalities, they see this really as a real possible future of uh, how economy and production is going to take place. The Netherlands, a bit as the U.S., is a country that uh, has a big industry on buildings. So buildings, in fact, usually last between 20 and 30 years, and then they're just uh, demolished. And many of these buildings were actually built with prefab structures. Are you looking at the city as a resource itself to uh, understand then how to rebuild these kind of things? Yeah, there's a popular term at this moment uh, emerging, which is uh, urban mining. Uh, that's... Uh, Really, the, the new way of looking at cities as a as a mine for for new resources. That's a, a way to look at it. Of course, we like to keep structures like buildings as long as possible. So, why we were able to redevelop this uh, former swimming pool into this hub for the blue economy was because we convinced the municipality first not to demolish this and actually look at the potential of this uh, building, and then. The more regular developers were no longer interested because they would could only see a development on this uh, fantastic spot uh, at the Maas River if the building would be torn down and a new high-rise would be built there. We start with what is available on the site and what has value. So the, the building and the structure itself is something that we start with in the first place. So uh, as well, the redevelopment of uh, Blue City, we keep as much of the building and the infrastructure in it and try to fit the new program in a creative way uh, within that structure. We hope you're enjoying this interview with Jan Jonger of SuperU Studio, but we've got to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to be discussing windmill blades and how to open source an entire city. Stay tuned, we'll be right back with more Social Design Insights. Welcome back to Social Design Insights. We are continuing our conversation with Jan Jongert, 
and looking at how SuperU Studio is bringing us a completely new mindset on the life cycle of our objects and buildings. After speaking about the current projects in Rotterdam, we will be looking more in detail at how to recycle cumbersome industrial material and how to upscale globally to a new idea of circular economy. Can we switch gears a little bit? Um, we wanted to talk about the Wicado project um, for a little bit because I think it fascinated both Emiliano and I. And in doing our research, um, we found out that wind turbines, and of course the Netherlands um, has a lot of wind power there, they lose an average of, of 8,000 blades uh, a year. And these, these blades are decommissioned and impossible to, to recycle, but, but you found a way to repurpose them. We at one point found uh, maybe one windmill blade as, a, yeah, as an offer somewhere, and then we started looking at what is the potential of such a wind blade. And you can only really understand the potential if you get, yeah, dig into the numbers of this. Um, indeed, like uh, in the Netherlands, there's hundreds of windmill blades that are taking off yearly. Globally, this is uh, tens of thousands. And we saw them as a resource for creating all kinds of urban functions. One of the first chances we had was to uh, make a playground. We were invited to design a playground on a given site. And we adjusted five of these windmill blades into all kinds of different functions for a playground. What would be other examples of the use of these blades? At this moment, we have made two playgrounds, uh, one bus stop, and uh, in the city of Rotterdam, there's a piece of uh, urban furniture that is made out of it, so we now completed four wind blade uh, projects. But there's a big amount of possibilities. Uh, one of the things we're working on now is to use the tips of those windmill blades to create uh, chairs uh, on beaches, for instance. Hmm. The old school uh, 50s and 40s um, straw-based uh, chairs, we are now working on a similar prototype made out of windmill blades. The thing with these windmill blades is that, yeah, they cost actually quite a lot of energy to produce them. Uh, the material is something that if you recycle it in a traditional way, in a waste incineration, it doesn't end up in uh, yeah, the waste heap. But uh, in waste incineration, it uh, damages the, the, the machines and the, the ovens. So it's, it's actually something that the industry is not very pleased with at the moment. We are actually looking at solutions how to absorb this material uh, by turning it into furniture. And there you see that in time, in the beginning, uh, it was very hard to convince a contractor to work with this. But after some projects, now we have a, a contractor that does all our wind blade projects. And we uh, work in close collaboration in the development of the new products. I think that's something that, that jumped out at us is that, you know, this whole notion of a circular economy and, and upcycling, you know, you look around and you say, well, maybe I can use this, maybe I can use that. And, you know, one of your first forays was to take something that was so big and intractable that, you know, the industry itself could not figure out what to do with it. And then, you know, through a process of design, understand, you know, a new future for it. And that philosophy is also the basis of the harvest map, is it not? Yeah, that's true. The, the, um, I mean, SuperUse really stands for looking at what uh, is considered without value and indeed by design and looking at the potential of this, uh, these materials to create new value. I mean, the, the potential of this is really enormous. We have figures of actually the, the loss of value by the waste flows that, uh, that occur, which are gigantic on a, on a global scale. And one of the first tools that we needed to develop in order to understand the size and the, the places where these flows emerge 
uh, was to create a map that could help us uh, find the resources uh, that we need for our designs. And Harvest Map uh, is just that. So um, in 2012, we launched a platform that we need. Yeah, we built to accommodate our own need in the know. Yeah, to, to know where resources are available. But whenever we create something, a tool or kind of strategy, we also turn it into something that others can use. So Harvest Map became a open platform where, uh, as well, others that uh, supply materials or ones that want to trade between supply and demand can start uh, the trade between those, uh, yeah, between those flows. Following up on this, uh, basically the idea of working open source is also another key element of your practice. Right? Yeah, that's really how, why we are so connected to this blue economy. The blue economy really stands, it's, a, it's like the, the successor of the green economy. The green economy still is product-based. Uh, it's trying to decrease the amount of uh, negative impact, both in production and in the waste flow. But what we are looking at is how can you actually create value in every aspect of the chain, in every aspect of the ecosystem, where can you create new connections? So uh, that's why uh, we start, uh, yeah, why we felt so very connected to the blue economy is that is exactly what we're doing with our work. So just to, to completely flesh it out with this open source platform, I could put it on there that I have, you know, 50 used car windshields sitting in my backyard and someone on the other side of the city might be interested in using those as some sort of building material. And that platform connects us both. Is that how that works? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. Its its intention is really to accommodate professional users. So, indeed, industry or buildings that are coming down where larger quantities of materials are wasted. Uh, otherwise, uh, we take the specifications of these materials and uh, post them so others can find them and use them in their designs. It's needed to make that open source in, in order to allow as many as possible to tap into this flow. What is really interesting about the Harvest Map is that by having it, we're able to actually divert uh, waste flows into new functions when there is a demand. So it's not that we are making an all-time contract with certain companies to absorb all their waste flows, but when there is a high-value demand for a building or for a piece of furniture, then we connect the demand to the supply and uh, the material is used in this, uh, in this new function. So, Jan, a bit to conclude with this, uh, which I think, you know, it's, it's a very promising idea of, you know, using, reusing material, uh, in the city with a repurposing, uh, uh, approach. But, you know, when I met you many, many years ago, you were mostly working in, in very small design objects or furniture, uh, reusing like chairs from uh, airplanes or washing machine. And progressively you have been scaling up, looking at a larger, uh, perspective, larger platforms. And uh, really looking, you know, at the city as a, a, a harvest with with a harvest intention for materials. Looking at the future, uh, to what extent do you think uh, this repurposing materials and and energies can actually lead us to? Yeah, that's indeed what happened. Like uh, really, from small scale experiments to larger structures, larger buildings. Still, in the first fifteen years, mainly dedicated towards uh, design and construction. I would say, but. At some point, we also started broadening the scope of the, the flow. So uh, other flows like food, um, energy, water, knowledge flows even, 
we took into consideration and started generating maps that uh, also show losses there. And I must say that the Netherlands are a very great experimenting environment. So indeed on the small scale, it's possible to find new strategies and develop tools. Netherlands has still a little bit of uh, production and industry in it, but of course not as much as uh, countries like China, for instance. So when we got a chance to promote ourselves in China, connected to, made a small research about the potential to use our approach there, we found really many opportunities to actually develop and uh, scale up this way of thinking in China. Um, so this led to an investor that invested in the construction of a Chinese harvest map that is now online. And it uh, also led to commission that we're working on now. We're actually at a, building a tool for an industrial zone uh, the size of Rotterdam, a really large city, to support the exchange of resource flows uh, between the different industries that are uh, present there. The interesting thing about China is that they are really at a very high speed, uh, at this moment at a very high speed developing uh, circular economy principles and trying to implement them uh, within all of their industry. So there's a big demand for this kind of knowledge. And that's something that I would not have expected when we went there the first time, but now uh, we have such a close communication and Many projects uh, going on. So last December, we uh, also launched uh, SuperU Studios in China in order to uh, be able to work with the projects that emerged there. That is a very encouraging place to close. And I think we look forward to the day when there are SuperU Studios and Harvest Map websites everywhere. Because I think both Emiliano and I feel strongly that, you know, this is one of the more critical urban issues that we're, we're really looking at. How do we start to look at what was waste and understand it as an input of value? Uh, next Monday, the Harvest Map Vienna people will come. We just had uh, last week a team from Spain that is starting up a similar idea in, uh, in Spain. Uh, we're about to uh, launch this year as well a Harvest Map for Detroit that we already built. But uh, so uh, as well in the US, we're working on similar projects at the moment with our US partner to create similar approaches in industry for the US as well. Well, I think that it, it's really scaling up this way because it's really such a simple but yet effective idea. So I really hope that people will just take it over and just uh, take ownership. Yeah, that's uh, what uh, what we invite people for. I mean, that's what we make it for is that others can also actively participate in it and uh, also become owner. I think that's a very important aspect. I mean, it's not uh, just uh, one actor that can realize this. It's, um, yeah, we're actually trying to build the infrastructure for uh, many people to uh, work along the same lines. So now all our listeners have some homework. <laughs> yeah, come to <laughs> Jan, thank you again. Yes, Jan, thank you very much and good luck for your projects. Thank you very much. You just listened to Social Design Insights. We hope you enjoyed the show. This program was brought to you by the Curry Stone Design Prize. Please check out our website, currystonedesignprize.com, for more information on SuperU Studios and on all the members of the Social Design Circle. You can check under Social Design Circle, which is a page that collects all the practices that we recognized in 2017. If you want to become the ultimate social design expert, come with us in our journey through the most inspiring practices in the world. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening.